This month, we're looking at the experience of four people who encountered Jesus taken from Luke's gospel. And the one that we're looking at today is perhaps the most startling. We're talking about a man who was possessed by multiple demons. And I think this will raise uh, quite a number of questions because I think often we don't have a frame of reference to help us understand this kind of thing. And today we want to try and put some of that framework in place so that we can grasp what's going on here. And I want to start by looking at where this story fits into Luke's gospel. Chapter 8 presents us with a series of events which act like pictures revealing Jesus' power and authority. And the first one is Jesus calming the storm. You remember the story. Jesus and the disciples are in a little boat on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is asleep. A storm whips up. Uh, They find themselves in a very dangerous situation. The disciples panic. They wake Jesus up, and Jesus calms the storm. Jesus has power and authority over the natural world. Jesus has power over creation. Also in uh, chapter 8, there's that woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She uh, reaches out and just manages to touch Jesus' cloak as he's walking through the crowd, and she is instantly healed. Jesus has power and authority over every disease and infirmity. Uh, Jesus then goes to the home of Jairus, the synagogue leader, whose daughter had just died. And Jesus goes in to see the little girl. He takes her by the hand and he says, my child, get up. And the girl's spirit returns to her. She stands to her feet immediately. Jesus even has power and authority over death itself. And in amongst those accounts, we have the one that we're looking at today. Jesus encounters a demoniac, a demon-possessed man, and he casts the demons out and sends them into a herd of pigs. Jesus has power and authority over the spiritual forces of evil. But I think you'll agree this is quite a strange narrative for us to get our heads around. You know, I think a lot of people, both inside and outside the church, find it relatively easy to believe in God, somewhat harder to believe in the devil, and when it comes to angels and demons, well, forget it, no way, a lot of people just can't bring themselves to believe in that. But if that's our position, what do we do with a passage like this? Do we just skip over it? Do we file it in the too weird to understand category? Do we try and find a natural explanation for what seems to be a supernatural event? Uh, Do we put it down to a lack of knowledge and understanding on behalf behalf of the biblical authors, in this case, Luke? Well, if we're taking the Bible seriously, none of those approaches will do because the Bible makes it very clear that there are other spiritual beings besides God. Of course, only God is God. You've got two categories of thing. You've got God and you've got everything else. You've got the creator and you've got everything that's being created, including spiritual beings. So I guess the first question might be, why did God create spiritual beings and why are some of them evil? Well, the Bible describes two overlapping spheres. There's God's space and there's our space. There's the heavens and the earth. There's the spiritual realm 
and the physical realm. And everything that God created was good. God did not create evil. God made human beings to rule over the natural world. We're supposed to lovingly care for creation on God's behalf. We're made in God's image. That means we can reflect God's glory and goodness out into the world. So God's plan was always to share his rule with human partners on earth. But parallel to that, God shares his rule with spiritual partners in heaven. So in the physical realm, there are human beings who have been created to partner with God on earth. And in the spiritual realm, there are spiritual beings who have been created to partner with God in heaven. So the question is, why are some of those spiritual beings evil? And to that, we'd have to say, well, God didn't create them that way. Uh, The Bible describes uh, a, a kind of twin rebellion. You see, all created beings have free will. We're not robots. God doesn't force us to obey him. And evil is the result of human beings and some of the spiritual beings making a grab for their autonomy. They didn't want to come under God's authority. They wanted to be like God. Worse still, they wanted to be God. And so there's been a rebellion against God in both the physical and the spiritual realms. Now, if we don't understand any of this, it's very difficult for us to fathom why evil should exist at all in a world that's been created by a loving and benevolent God. And I certainly wouldn't want to start talking about demons without um, giving some indication as to why they exist in the first place. Jesus came to rescue the world and take it back from the rebels, both human and spiritual It is very clear from the Gospels that Jesus makes a distinction between light and darkness, between good and evil, between God and the devil. And we can't say that Jesus was speaking figuratively. Jesus himself was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, and he repeatedly cast out demons. In Luke 11, uh, Jesus casts a demon out from a man who was mute, and the man immediately starts speaking. And some in the crowd that uh, they say, well, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he casts out demons. In other words, they were saying, well, Jesus is evil. That's why he's able to do this. Uh, Jesus was well known for casting out demons. And when people ja- challenged Jesus on this, Jesus didn't say, well, actually, I'm not casting out demons. You got the wrong end of the stick. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus, who was and is the son of God, clearly believed in the reality of demons. Spiritual warfare was an integral part of Jesus' way of viewing the world. Throughout his ministry, Jesus confronted and overcame the forces of evil. We see it time and time again throughout the Gospels. And on the cross, Jesus won a definitive and decisive victory over the devil and over the forces of evil, as it says in Colossians 2.15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And throughout the New Testament, there is a clear theme of spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6 verse 12 sums it up well. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's only one way 
that we can read that. But in spite of all the evidence, many people try to make these passages about Jesus casting out demons more palatable to our 21st century Western mindset. And the argument goes something like this. They say, well, in the first century, people didn't understand about mental illness. So these so-called demoniacs uh, are, in fact, people who are suffering from epilepsy or some form of mental illness that Jesus heals them from. But the Gospels make a distinction between demon possession and every kind of illness. In Luke 9, when Jesus sends out the 12, it says, When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. In that one verse, there seem to be three categories of people. There's the demon-possessed, the diseased, and the sick. In the first century, they didn't understand mental illness. Uh, That's true. But then again, they didn't understand much about physical illness either. They certainly didn't understand its causes, and yet they didn't attribute all illness, both mental and physical, to demonic possession. In fact, 400 years before the Gospels were written, the uh, Greek physician Hippocrates identified mental illness as a condition of the mind. Here's what he wrote. Only from the brain springs our pleasures, our feelings of happiness, laughter, jokes, our pain, our sorrows and tears. This same organ, the brain, makes us mad or confused and inspires us with fear and anxiety. So all this talk about them not knowing any better and attributing anything they didn't understand to demons is nonsense. And of course, Luke, who wrote this gospel, was a Greek physician, a doctor. He would have been well aware of the various schools of thought. Of course, in the modern world, we understand a great deal about the human brain. We understand a great deal about the mind. Our knowledge in this area is incomplete, but it's uh, expanded exponentially. And mental illness should be treated as mental illness. But that doesn't negate the fact that there are spiritual forces of evil. And what we're reading about today is Jesus coming up against those forces. You know, I think... Uh, we often forget that we're in a spiritual battle. Quite literally, we think we're fighting against flesh and blood. In other words, that which we can see and touch. And I think in some respect, the Jews of Jesus's day had fallen into the same trap. They saw the Romans as the enemy from whom they needed to be liberated. That's why you had groups like the Zealots who wanted to overthrow the Romans by force. It's this mindset that led to a Jewish revolt against the Romans in AD 66, a revolt that was put down with an iron fist. The Romans completely destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, practically leveled it. And when we read about this encounter between Jesus and the demoniac, we have to wonder if Jesus was also making a point that the real enemy is the spiritual forces of evil behind the corrupt human power structure that we know as the Roman Empire. Let's take a moment to look at some of the more puzzling aspects of this account. To start with, Jesus and his disciples had gone into a Gentile area. We know that uh, because of the area they were in, but also because Jews didn't and still don't eat or keep pigs. And as soon as Jesus stepped ashore, he is confronted by a naked 
wild, frenzied, demon-possessed man. And when Jesus asked for his name, he replies, legion, because many demons had gone into him. Well, well, legion is a military term that we'd associate with the Roman army. It's about 6,000 men. That doesn't mean that this man had 6,000 demons in him. It's just another way of saying a lot. The man had a lot of demons. And when the demons are cast out, they're sent into a herd of pigs, which rushed down the steep bank into the Sea of Galilee and was drowned. From a Jewish perspective... Gentiles were unclean, and so were pigs. And Jesus encounters a demon-possessed man in a Gentile area. The man's name was Legion, which immediately makes him think of the Roman army. And the demons are sent into a herd of pigs that rushes down the hill and drowns in the Sea of Galilee. So we're just trying to connect the dots here. You see, the Jews wanted to drive the unclean Gentile Romans, the, the, the Gentile pigs, they wanted to drive them back into the sea. They wanted rid of them. By sending the demons into this herd of pigs, it could be that Jesus is saying the real enemy is not so much the Romans, but the spiritual forces of evil that stand behind the Roman Empire and every other corrupt human power structure. But of course, the main point, the main point is that Jesus came to, uh, to, well, that Jesus has authority and power over the spiritual forces of evil, and he came to overthrow them. So we can see from a biblical perspective that there are demonic influences between the, but behind the evil and the chaos of our world. But that doesn't mean that we need to see demons in everything. You can be down or depressed without it being demonic. You can have bad thoughts. You can succumb to temptation. You can have physical or mental illness. We don't necessarily need to attribute these things to demons. But at the same time, we need to be aware that there are spiritual forces of evil at work in this world. But as Christians, we have nothing to fear because Jesus has power and authority over them. In his book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And that's why in the three years that I've been here, there's not been an emphasis on the demonic. We need to be aware of the darkness, but our focus should always be on the light. Now, we're studying this passage, uh, and it may seem somewhat abstract. We may struggle to connect to this scenario where Jesus is casting out demons into a herd of pigs. It's pretty weird, isn't it? Now, I had to put a lot of thought and prayer into this, but I've decided to share something of my own uh, experience of this kind of thing. Uh, As most of you will know, before I gave my life to Christ, uh, or perhaps I should say rededicated my life to Christ, I led a very godless existence. And I believe that I opened myself up to all kinds of evil influences. Uh, But Jesus lifted me out of that dark place. Um, I gave my life to Jesus alone in a little windowless hotel room in Hong Kong in 2005. Well, fast forward 18 months, and Tissa and I had been married for a few weeks, and we were lying in bed praying. And I told Tissa that I had a strong sense that if the devil had any kind of foothold on our life, then that needed uh, to be broken. 
And Tissa remembered then that the previous night, she had woken up in the middle of the night with the exact same feeling, but she'd fallen back asleep. She'd forgotten to tell me, but now I mentioned it, she'd remembered. And so we began to pray. And we were praying fervently, and we were praying for quite a long time. And all of a sudden, a loud hissing noise came out of me that I knew I hadn't made. And I sat bolt upright and said, what was that? But I think we both knew. And when I'd been praying, it felt like something had been churning up inside me. And when I stopped praying and sat up, it felt like it was settling down like sediment in a river. And so I lay back down. We continued to pray. A lot of quite strange things happened. After a while, Tissa went to find our housemate. She was was a Christian. She was from Zambia. And uh, Tissa and Julienne were both praying for me. And there came a point, and I don't know how long this all went on for, there came a point Tissa put her hand on my chest like that. She said, this is a deliverance. And my head went back, my shoulders arched, my mouth opened as wide as it could go, and there was a sound like, and that's about as long as I can do it with one lung full of air, and it lasted three or four times that long. And I physically felt something leave my body. Now, I'd read accounts of people being delivered in the New Testament, in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, but I'd never stopped to think what that experience would be like for the person being delivered. And after this experience, to tell you the truth, I felt really shaken up. I felt fearful, and we needed to pray about that. And the next morning, I said to Tissa, you know what? All that weird stuff happened last night, and I don't feel any different. Shouldn't I feel different? And three or four days went by. I still didn't feel any different. And then the penny dropped. I realized that my thought life had changed. And it it seems strange that it took me three or four days to realize this. But I suddenly realized that thoughts that would have been there before just weren't there. And other thoughts that would have come into my head and I would have dwelt on them, I was able to push out. And at that moment of realization... Uh, a verse came to my mind, Romans 12, verse 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I knew that that had happened. So I don't have any doubt that these quite strange things that we read about in the New Testament are just as relevant today. But remember, the reason that Luke includes this story is to demonstrate that Jesus has power and authority over the spiritual forces of evil. As Christians, we have nothing to fear. As it says in in 1 John chapter 4, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So we need to be aware of this stuff, but we don't need to focus on it. We don't need to start questioning, have I got a demon? When we give our lives to Jesus, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. If there's anything to be dealt with, it will be dealt with, and it will be dealt with in God's time. So we don't need to go looking for demons We just need to focus on our relationship with Jesus. You know, in the New Testament, whenever demons are mentioned, there is always deliverance. The only exception to that is in Acts 19, when a group of unbelieving Jews, in other words, they weren't Christians, they were kind of using the name of Jesus like a magic wand to try and cast demons out. It was a bit of a party piece. They wanted kudos. And things didn't go so well for them. But on every other occasion, when a demon or unclean spirit is mentioned, it gets cast out. If a demon-possessed person becomes a believer, 
Jesus will always deal with it. Now, we know that many Christians experience the most difficult of circumstances. Uh, We know that many Christians suffer from physical and mental illness. We know that all Christians die. Uh, we, We can be confident that we'll be raised to new and everlasting life, but there's a physical death that comes first. But one thing's for sure. If a demon-possessed person, and I have to say, demon possession is quite rare, but if a demon-possessed person is reborn, if they're filled with the Holy Spirit, then that demon cannot stay. And if a person is filled with the Spirit of God, then no demon can come and share that space. So we don't need to worry. We ought not to have an excessive and unhealthy interest. We just need to fix our eyes on Jesus. That naked, demon-possessed man encountered Jesus and was completely transformed. Reading from verse 34, it says, When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man who had the demons, who the demons had gone out of, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. Isn't it wonderful to hear of the transformation that came from this encounter with Jesus? Jesus has power and authority over the forces of evil. Jesus has power and authority to take us from the darkness into the light. Jesus has the power to completely transform our lives. This is very good news. But notice the locals were overcome with fear. It seems they would have preferred this demon-possessed man to remain demon-possessed because they had a frame of reference for understanding this. They, they, they could accept it. But they were terrified of Jesus, who had such authority over the spiritual forces of evil. Let us not respond to this like the Gerasenes. And I think in the 21st century Western church, there is a very real danger of this happening. Let's not respond to this like the Gerasenes. Let's not be fearful. And let's not be unwilling to accept and comprehend what this passage points us to. Let us be willing to have our eyes opened to the spiritual realities of this world. And let us rejoice that all authority in heaven and earth belongs to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize that this this is not an easy passage. And in our sort of post-enlightenment, post-modern culture, Uh, This sort of thing is very difficult for people to digest. Uh, But we want to remain faithful to the biblical witness that there are spiritual forces of evil at work in this world. And we do recognize this. And we pray, Father, that um, we won't have an excessive or unhealthy interest, but we will be aware. And we will be aware that we are in a spiritual battle that we are fighting daily. Father, open our eyes to the spiritual realities of this world. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. And may we continue to rejoice 
that all power and authority belongs to you. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.